0: Hello, and welcome to Lens, the podcast brought to you by British Screen Forum. My name is John Gisby, and I'm delighted that you're listening. Hello, and welcome to the last in this first series of Lens, where we've been talking to some of the leading figures who have shaped public service broadcasting over the last 25 years. In this episode, we're talking about children's content, one of the areas that everyone seems to agree has been a hallmark of PSB, and which is vital to sustain going forward. Children now have a wider choice of content than ever before, but there are many within the industry who argue that quality UK content is being crowded out and that this will have a significant impact on how children see themselves and the culture that they're part of. I'm delighted to be joined by two of the leading voices in this debate. Anna Hume is the legendary TV producer who commissioned landmark shows such as Jack and Rory, Grange Hill and the Teletubbies. Greg Childs launched the BBC's first internet services for children and then headed the launch teams for both CBBC and CBeebies. They are, respectively, the chair and director of the Children's Media Foundation. Anna and Greg, welcome. It is a joy to have you, I was going to say, on the show, on the podcast, whatever this is, this conversation that we're recording and somebody might listen to. Um, welcome to both of you. Thank you very much indeed for, for giving up your time. Thanks for asking us. Yeah, it's so. a pleasure. Good. Good, good, good. Well, we're gonna start with uh, the the easy one, but uh, we've had a range of different answers. Public service broadcasting. Have you got a definition as to what it is and why it matters? Greg, why don't you have a why don't you have a crack?
1: Well, I think what it means is broadcasting that has some relevance for young people's lives. And obviously we're gonna talk in the context of young people and children. Um it it very much uh it needs to have a sort of purpose as opposed to be pure entertainment entertainment needs to feature within it because it needs to be it needs to be a a broad church and there's no reason why entertainment cannot feature as part of a public service remit you know uh strictly come dancing great public service show i think um and it needs to be relevant to the locality in which it's made. So it, 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 it's for us vitally important that it, it, it talks to British kids about the sort of diversity of the, the culture that's around them, the society that they live in, because it, it, it creates social cohesion uh, at its best and it, and, it, and it creates engagement with society and, and with culture.
0: Anna, I know you've both written and spoken of this uh, uh, many times in the past. Um, one thing I remember you writing, or reading, which I think it was in the, in the, the um, Children's Media Foundation recent report, which is around a specific culture that, that children have, and while they watch so-called grown-up programming and can enjoy that um, uh, on its own merits. Actually, their own culture matters, and therefore, creating content that is relevant and resonates with that culture is really important. And I suspect maybe even more important at a time when we're thinking about diversity and inclusion.
2: I think I, th- I think that's absolutely true. I and mean, I think that um, originally um, children's um, broadcasting was very much the world of adults talking at children, um, and. It took a long time to realize that you know it wasn't it wasn't being you know an audience that should be preached to, it was an audience that should be listened to and it's still still not being listened to properly. Um, I think that the the universality of it is is hugely important that we do talk to all kids and that they do hear people who sound like themselves and um, people who think. You know, to understand how their minds work to a point. Um, and I think we underestimate what children um, can cope with. And I think there's always been a danger of doing that. And I'm, I think particularly now, when it is more difficult, I think, to be challenging to the child audience, the young people's audience, than it has been at other times.
0: In all the conversations we've had, looking both backwards and forwards at public service broadcasting and what it was and what it might become, uh, the unanimity, uh, the, the, well, uh, broadly there are two models that pop up. There is either a model that says the market won't always do everything that we want it to do, so you've got to intervene and do the bits the market won't do. Uh, the other is slightly more probably... Lord Rethian, which is that actually this is a noble noble mission to provide content. It's broadcasting. It is pr- providing a range of different content universally to everybody. Uh, the conversation we had with uh, with Lord Putnam, sort of, if, if you can make a case for a national health service for physical health, then this is a sort of health service for the mind, if you like. Um, what's interesting is that both of those arguments have children and news as being the two standout genres that everybody agrees with, that in any possible future, there will be uh, a need to intervene to create and make available the sorts of content that we will want younger audiences to watch. Um, this may be a kind of state in the bleed and obvious question, but why won't the market provide everything that we would want? Greg, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, in the UK, the children's market is it's not quite big enough to generate enough revenue to create content that is that has a sort of broad spectrum so you've you you have certain content you've, you've got content anyway that is is going to be less popular um uh is is more niche uh factual content is 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 yeah you know, it's a straightforward less popular than entertainment uh, than drama um and you've also got um You've also got the problems of of of, of, of inflation, the, the inflating costs of actually making things, and, and and also quality inflation. So you've got kids watching amazing dramas like Game of Thrones, and then at the same time, one needing to watch their own drama, and it, it, you you need to compete. It can't have um, it can't have wobbly sets and uh, and secondhand costumes. You know, so you. It, 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 you, it, there is a pressure on the fact that, uh, that our, our market is, despite being, you know, the fifth largest economy in the world or whatever, we sixth now after India. Um, it, we're not quite big enough to generate a range of content that is commercially viable, and you also can't build some of the finance models which work for the children's market. Which, for example, for a large animation, um, where you'd have a you, you have a, a, a multi. Territory input into the sort of the financing. You've got, you know, you've got various broadcasters putting money into financing. You've got, you've got um, uh, distributors putting money into the financing for the thing. But you've also got uh, merchandising and toy manufacturers putting money into the financing. Now, that doesn't work for for drama particularly doesn't work particularly well for 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 factual programming you 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 can't generate people always used to say why can't blue peter make lots of money out of you know having sort of toy franchises and the answer is because their audience was never quite big enough to do that even if, had they wanted to do it, you know, had they been prepared to do it, they were a powerful enough brand to do it, but the audience was not big enough to, to, to tool up the factories to make the toys such that the, the cycle would work. So, so you do, you know, there's a basic market failure. Advertising revenue around children's has dropped and dropped and dropped, first with multi-channel television, second with the arrival of the internet um so you've got you've got significantly decreased advertising revenue and the, and the and the value of children's advertising is small so so for example you had a situation where itv in its heyday was spending something i think at the maximum we ever we ever sort of read was 65 million spent on children's um but it was making around 17 million in advertising revenue So it is sort of understandable that that's an area they might
2: want to take a look at, you know. And also, of course, the BBC licence fee, I mean, which has been depleted steadily um, over recent years. Um, And the amount of money that, you know, was available to spend in other times is no longer available for children.
0: And just, I, I think one of the things that, that particularly interests me about the, the, the children as an audience segment is that they strike me as being the canaries in the coal mine in the sense that uh, there, are, there is a lot that we can learn about the way the children's um, viewing patterns are changing and the business models associated with the content are changing. Um, the, as, as technology has opened up choice, it becomes harder to get the big audiences that can justify the risks. So, I mean, the the original commissioning decision for the Teletubbies, which I think Lord still points to as being one of the uh, an iconic piece of public service content commissioned under his watch and obviously under your watch. Um, it strikes me that those sorts of models are just that much harder to put together because the fragmentation of the audiences in the UK make it hard that nobody's going to take those sorts of commissioning decisions again. And then, as a result, it's then even it's it's equally hard to put all the other pieces of the chain together in terms of global co-production deals. Is that is that a fair summary?
2: Yeah, well, I think it, it's nowadays it's 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 certainly much harder. I mean, the Teletubbies um, was a gamble, um, and when it first the idea first appeared from Anwood, um, it was. You know three sheets of paper um, and it was very difficult to understand what it was about, but certainly the money people didn 't understand what it was about ever but um, until they realized that it was actually making them a lot of money but and it did make a lot of money um, but i don 't think you could you know it wouldn 't happen now people are not able to nor. And, and perfectly reasonably to take that kind of a risk um, on really on one person, which is what it was.
0: And I think I'm right. It, I mean, the, the original commission was hundreds of episodes up front, wasn't it? I mean, it was a, it I I can't a big... remember
2: how much it was, but it was it was a considerable amount. It had to be. But it was the problem with it was actually getting BBC um, Enterprises or worldwide or whatever they happened to be at that time. I can't remember. Um, to put money into it because they didn't understand what it was.
0: And is it fair to describe, if we kind of look at the world maybe up until COVID struck, because I think the world has probably changed even more since then, that the the way the system worked was a sort of uh, a a set of remits and quotas and obligations, which if you rewind 30 years ago, back to the the heyday of the money that that an ITV was able to spend – Uh, I mean, guaranteed significant original commissioning every year, but that essentially what's happened over say the last 20 odd years is that progressively those remits and quotas have fallen away. Um, To what extent, well, firstly, I mean, if you you just look at the amount of money spent and the amount of content created, I think think that story um, uh, largely tells itself. To what extent, from your point of view, was that inevitable? Or to what extent broadcast has been let off the hook?
2: It's gone in phases. It hasn't. It, 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 you know, it didn't sort of go in one one fell swoop. I mean, it it did go in phases. And if you look back to the various campaigns that there've been over the years, um, there were good times and there were bad times. It's not a sort of straightforward line, I don't think. Um, but it certainly has become a great deal worse in, in, in recent years. But there were times when, you know, there was a lot of money sloshing around. There were times when there wasn't. Um, but um, it is certainly much worse now. But in terms of
1: the, um, as you say, the remit and the quotas, you know, a, 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 a quick romp through the history, a quick sprint through the history. You know, at the 2003 yep. Broadcasting mm-hmm. Act. Yeah, abolished um, the quotas for certain categories of, of content for the public service commercial broadcasters, commercial public service broadcasters. So, ITV, Channel Four, Channel Five, um, and at the time, very few people, particularly, paid attention to the fact that children's moved from being mandatory. For a public service commercial broadcaster, like news or local news or whatever, and it moved into it moved into being nice to have basically. And um, uh, the regulator was told to keep an eye on the amount of children's content in the public service sector across the board, not not company by company, if you like quota by quota. So by by two thousand and seven the companies were beginning to notice that advertising disparity that that i talked about previously and and were and and started to remove themselves from the production of the commissioning of children's content so you've got itv now down to um uh, you know in the region of three to four million a year spent not not 65 million, not even 25 million. Um, nothing like a competitor to the BBC's budgets, for example. So you, you you had a situation where for a long time there was no there was no legal requirement for public service broadcasters to produce content for kids. Um, they still did up to a point because it was part they were being watched as part of the nice to have. Then what happened was in the digital economy. Uh, bill of 2017, Floella Benjamin, Baroness Benjamin, um, with the assistance of PACT, put forward an amendment to the bill. The bill was a bit of a catch-all. People were throwing in all sorts of things to do with all sorts of areas of anything that might be termed digital. And Since broadcasting was by then digital, this was chucked in. And um, and the amendment said that, the, 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 that Ofcom should regulate Uh, for there to be children's programmes on the three public service commercial broadcasters. So we were basically going back to the mandatory position. The government actually did a negotiation with them where they they switched that from must regulate to may regulate. So Ofcom were given, they were given powers to, as always, assess the marketplace and then decide whether the individual companies should be required to make some programming and and in fact, that then became a government amendment, and it went through. So we did get regulation back. Ofcom is now required to regulate um, the three public service commercial broadcasters to p- to place children's programs on their networks. Um, there's no there's no reference to the amount of money they must spend. There's no there's no particular reference to the amount of hours, but it is related to all of the Ofcom studies that have been done, which have proved market failure for the last. 15, 20 years, Ofcom have been saying there's market failure. Then, interestingly, what happened, along comes the Young Audiences Content Fund, uh, roughly the same time as the act became law, as, at roughly the same time as Ofcom were being required to regulate. So that Ofcom did quite a smart thing, and they they actually wrote to the, the three public service broadcasters, asked them to come up with a plan. So for, for the first time in a very long time, Ofcom sort of went into a collaboration with them, which we, we as an organization, the Children's Media Foundation, have been encouraging for years. Why can't you just you know, talk to them and get them to do more, even if, you're, you know, even if legally you haven't got a stick to beat them with? Now we had a stick and a carrot simultaneously who had the fund, which was offering 50% of the finance for a program that could be said to be public service and would be backed by a public service broadcaster. And we had the stick of Ofcom saying, you've really got to do more. You must do, I need to know what your plan is going to be. And the brilliant thing was that they all came up with a plan associated with the fund. Not so brilliant when three years later, the fund is closed and finished. And there is to be no new fund, as far as we know. Ministers are saying there's no money, there is no fund, contestable funding, uh, we're not doing it. So you've now got the situation where we're back to where we were, and we now have to ask Ofcom questions like, how are you going to make them do this? this? How are you going to get them to fulfil these quotas for children's content? Because you have to regulate
0: and at a time when the, the value of the PSB bit of the licenses that they have is obviously uh, a shadow of what it used to be. Yes. Um, and, and, but before we come on to that, we'll definitely come on to the, the Contestable Fund of the, um, amongst other things. Um, how has the parallel story gone with the BBC in terms of the amount of resource invested and the, your sense of the, the priority of children's as a genre?
1: um Anna.
2: well i mean there is less funding as i've already said um and there, you know that has been fairly steadily happening in recent years but as i also said it has gone up and down over the years um in the bbc and there have been good years and there have been bad years but on the whole i think lip service is paid to, to the children's Output on the BBC and it is always hauled up when there is a license fee renewal going on um, because, as you said at the beginning, it is seen as a a core element of public service broadcasting and and of of, of the bbc's remit but uh, it 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 is tokenistic so so often, and that is one of the one of the problems, and it is is very hard for the BBC to compete in a complete in a in a world which is so very different um and developing all the time. And they can't, you know, trying to be all things to all people is very, very difficult, I think, at the moment. Um, and I'm not sure that I see a great deal of support from the BBC hierarchy in terms of the long-term future of children's programming, despite the fact that I think the children's department itself still cares very much about its long-term future.
1: If you're looking at the sort of stats of it, the CBB's audience is holding up pretty well, although that is slowly decreasing, but very slowly. And it is a a massive audience, and it's hugely popular. And in fact, this goes right back to your first question about you know bringing, putting together the financing for children's content. That was always easier to do in preschool because preschool can be and thrives as international collaboration because it's in a sense less important that it's culturally relevant as long as you have a service like CBBS which will make. Fully funded, culturally relevant live action shows yeah. with yeah. Justin Fletcher in them it's, being silly or being lovely or whatever. hugely
2: <laughs> important, and it isn't because the de- the danger is that it, international um, funding, in, even for preschool, is is in very much skewed towards animation um, and sort of generally pleasing animation rather than anything specifically geared, as Greg says, to the the Indigenous audience. But then you
1: have the CBBC audience, and that has, been, that has been slowly decreasing and now fairly rapidly decreasing. And they have a real problem with the, the loss of six, main, and, and especially eight to 12-year-olds, um, to uh, Netflix and other streaming services, on-demand services in general, and to, um, and to YouTube. And YouTube, you know, YouTube is the search engine of choice for uh, children of, of sort of eight and nine years old. You know, they don't they don't go to Google. They just go straight to YouTube because they don't, you know, they just want a video that will tell them how to do stuff or they they want a video that will entertain them in a certain way and they will find it there. Um And so you've you've got this scenario where there's a significant loss of audience there. Interestingly, CBBC takes the the lion's share of the actual children's budget. CBBC gets a much smaller budget, much to their chagrin. But but CBBC can't fight its way through against this massive new competition. uh, Let's just call it YouTube. And... um, and, and, and now are you know we've got TikTok as well and, and Instagram going on there as well. so you've you, you've got a situation where they are trying to get that audience back now their most recent strategy as is going to be and they're already starting to operate it um, to create more um, animation to recapture that audience to get that audience back. Um, and then long term, there is a plan to put CBBC as a, a digital-only channel on the iPlayer, um, so that it becomes an on-demand service only. That that will save a bit of money. It won't save a huge amount of money, but it will save some, I suppose. Uh, but but you know the, so that. So our beef with the BBC over this one is: if you have, if you've identified that animation is popular at the moment, uh, 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 Amongst sort of six to 12 year olds, and therefore, you want to commission more of it. So, to do that, they've got to partly work with Ofcom on changing their quotas. So, there have been various consultations around changing the, the quotas on original production because obviously, it's very hard quickly to turn around original production in animation. So, they need to have they need to increase their acquisitions budget for a while until they can start to. Put money into uh, future animations um, now all, all of that we've objected to on the on the grounds that that if, if you make more animation, you are going to inevitably with the same money la- make live less live action and we and we see this already coming through the system. We hear from producers who are saying they are being they're being told yes we'd love to have your live action factual show. But you can only have seventy-five percent of the budget you would have had last year. You need to go off and find the twenty-five percent elsewhere. And I come back, you know, I refer you to my first point. How do you find twenty-five percent of the budget for a factual British show? It's really difficult to do, almost impossible. So producers are being put in positions where they can't make any money at all in working for the BBC. It's a real problem. And and going down the line, we can see that inevitably there will be fewer live action shows why does that matter because in my humble opinion live action is more effective as public service content than animation is animation can and is public service it's part of the entertainment remit it's also part of the remit that gets put you know issues and and emotions and and stories that are vitally important across in a really accessible way that's very very important but there there is no replacement for kids actually seeing themselves. And in with all the best will in the world, you do not really see yourself in an animation. You do not see the kids who live at the end of your road in an animation. You see those in dramas and factual which are made in live action or or, or indeed in entertainment, you know, and factual entertainment shows. And there will inevitably be a reduction in in, in, in budgets for live action. And that just isn't acceptable because that is the BBC rowing back on its public service commitment um, and the the point we've made is we don't understand if this is an important strategy why is there not more money for it? The BBC centrally should find money to fund this 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 journey into animation you know while while ensuring that the budgets for the live action content is maintained um, no, yeah. n- no reply on that one no of course not
2: um the but it th- th- it means um more and more returning series of drama um rather than new taking risk with new stuff so the bbc will continue to to bring back very good um s- uh, s- um series but you know the kids want something new and and not all the time but they need to have a variety of of new drama not just the same old same old same old and again we come back i think to the whole point of you know the, the ability to challenge the audience and to make it think um which i think is is it, it's all getting very very sort of one-paced and one one-sourced i think i mean it's it's kind of It's not exciting enough anymore. Um. So it also strikes me that, well,
0: I'd be very interested to get your your perspective on this, which is there is such a seismic shift happening in how children find and consume content. One of the stats that comes out as to why YouTube is popular for them is precisely because they do see it as more relevant and actually having a greater propensity to have Um, uh, content that's relevant or content that represents themselves. I think that comes out loud and clear for some of the Ofcom studies. So you've got this shift to social video, to streaming. Uh, We haven't even begun to talk about games and Roblox and all the rest. Um, if, If there was a magic wand and we could get commissioning budgets back up to where they were, do you think they'd come back? or is it or is it actually it's a shift in in the type of content and the the type of experiences that they want to have and television is part of that but they would never go back to it in the same way that they were well my this is my
1: personal opinion but i don't
0: i don't think it's about the
1: programming in the end i think it's about accessibility and it's about a, a general shift to uh, Young people finding programs, you know, when they want them, where they want them, and the BBC will say, "But the programs are on the iPlayer." And of course, the BBC have had terrible problems with the iPlayer. You know that that they've had structural problems in 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 their rights scenarios and not being able to put, you know, uh, all of the content on the iPlayer all of the time. Uh, and and you know, they had a children's iPlayer. They designed and built a child, a child-friendly iPlayer, which they then shelved inexplicably. Um, uh, we've never really got a, a proper answer on why that happened, and I, I you know, I know that the previous head of children's battled um, internally to try to create a much more user-friendly iPlayer for young people, and there's just, you know, classic BBC departmental indifference to this going on. Interestingly, you know, their new strategy is to produce animation, to worry less about the channel, and eventually to to put put that content onto the iPlayer for young people. But we... Children's Media Foundation is conducting a, a small sort of, uh, well, a, a sort of campaign of work over the next few months. Called, you know, and we've been doing it for a few months, uh, called listening to kids, because we're highly aware that Ofcom, BBC, others—they're not really listening to kids in the way they should. Um, and one of the the research studies we did recently—it was—it was a small thing. It was a small sort of focus group with with kids um, in the sort of. Um, for sort of round about the tens to twelves age group, and not a single one of that small group knew what the iPlayer was. So if you ask them what YouTube was, it was, one of the principal brands in their life. So one of the things that BBC's got to ask itself is is how do we get how do we get our content to where the kids are actually watching, rather than trying to compete to claw them back. So I'm very much of a mind that the future of public service is in the creation of public service content and then letting it flow through the many different channels where kids will find it. But ensuring that it's got public service purpose at its basis, at its origination and public service money potentially to help it be that and to help it find its way. Um, because the other problem is, of course, you can't you can't just find your way onto YouTube if you don't have any marketing. If you don't if you don't have a proper pay you know a, a budget to ensure discoverability in these platforms, you're going to disappear without trace. So, the, yeah, I do think. I should be the last person in the world to say you should spend more money on marketing and less on the programs. Uh, Anna will be sort of tearing her hair out at this thought, but
2: there is there is a there is some sense to that. I think there's, that no, makes- there's no point in in supporting the programs if the kids are never going to find them. I mean, we do have to we do have to move forward, but uh, uh, but I I still think that the you know the proper funding of non um, animation content is 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 very important but i think the trouble is we're in a, in a period of huge flux in terms of the whole of 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 the media world and it is very difficult to see how how far we can go ahead how fast if you see what i mean without losing what we've already got i think that's one of the grave dangers that that might happen just by default well, that's, that's right. I also think there's a. Um, it, it comes
0: back to what is the content versus does it matter? Does a piece of public service content have any less rel- resonance if it's not on a public service broadcast channel? Um, I mean, Greg, you, you brought up strictly earlier. Um, a Strictly variant that's on a commercial channel outside the UK still has the same public service ethos and values to it. Um, it still has the same purpose and, and arguably the same impacts, even though it's not necessarily on a channel that's branded BBC. And I'd be the first person to applaud the fact that I hope the BBC's getting some money back to help us
1: to make more Strictly, which is great. Um, but, uh, and yes, <laughs> it, the Young Audiences Content Fund, so I'm bringing it up again, yeah, yeah. You know, one of the one of the sort of parts of the remit was that it, it you, your your content had to find its way onto a public service broadcaster, um, and we asked the DCMS in the early stages of, of thinking about it. You know, well, would you include YouTube as a public service outlet? And they 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 looked horrified. They they you know, it was like watching an Edward Munch painting, mm-hmm. you know, come come to life. And they said no, we could not be seen to to you know uh, finance programming for YouTube, uh, and I thought why why the hell not? Because this, that's where your audience is, um, and and so you have a you've got a scenario where you know the the young audiences content fund was a success.
0: So one of the things that. Um uh, came out of the the CMF's public service media report is that broadcasting had moved to being media to recognize the the uh the, the kind of shift in audience behavior and that content is not just about a broadcast tv program um And uh, Greg, I think particularly in your final essay of uh, a a lot of what ifs, um, but particularly looking at should we be thinking more broadly than just TV and therefore moving into things uh, such as games, such as social video, um, and potentially uh, something that also Ed Vasey picked up on, um, the idea that if content is uh, is everywhere um, and that increasingly content that it will talk again about how it's funded, but if content is made available where the audience is rather than expecting them to come uh, to, uh, to a particular service or channel, that they need a way of finding it and that that may, may require um, uh, an algorithm uh, to be put together around discoverability. How, <clears throat> some, some fairly bold ideas in there, how have those been landing um, and particularly with regulators and politicians who need to make these decisions in the end, um, to, what extent, to what extent did they get their heads around them? Because I think the risk is that otherwise we, we sort of default back to uh, some of the things that Anna, you were talking about that come up in BBC funding bids um, of shows from yesteryear uh, and nostalgia. Um, rather than necessarily looking to where the market's moving. So how have some of those ideas landed as you started to think about public service media as opposed to public service broadcasting?
1: I don't think they've landed at all.
2: I don't think so either. I don't (laughs) think they've taken anything in yet. Let's
1: take the example of the BFI, okay? British Film Institute have just done a massive consultation amongst uh, industry um, they had children, some children's producers in who were beneficiaries of the Yak fund, the Yonamuddin Content fund, which the BFI themselves administer. They started the consultation by saying, it's time to talk about the next 10 years. It's time to talk about where we place the lottery funding and indeed all our funding at, at, at BFI. It's time to consider whether we should be in games as well as film and whether we should be on smaller screens as well as on the big screen, television in particular. And we, we responded to that consultation with, for some very simple thoughts like you are in television, you're running the Yak fund. You, you know, you're funding television. What you need to do is 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 ensure the future of the young audience's content on by, for example, allocating some lottery money to it, or indeed applying for more lottery funding because that content is children's culture. Okay, so that and producers themselves talked about the benefits of that. One. The final result, which has been published just this week, the BFI's future plan is. Just be in film with some games. Like like games really need help. You know, the most successful, uh, you know, financially the most successful industry of all the creative industries. Games really need the BFI's help. There is absolutely nothing in there about kids. There's an awful lot of stuff about bringing people to the BFI player. Again, the BFI player. that Any child in the country knows what the BFI player is, you know, for goodness sake. Absolutely, utterly unchild and youth centric content. It is a license to fail. Basically, the film lobby, the old guard film lobby, has once again hijacked the lottery funding, hijacked the BFI, and they're going to pretty much do what they did before. Unbelievable that the BFI cannot see itself as an organization which should be capturing the imaginations of the young audience in the places where they are actually viewing. Whether that be for film or content which is less than a minute long on TikTok. There's no reason why that could not become the responsibility of the BFI as much as everything else is. But no, they've just they've just walked away from it.
2: But Greg, I, I've said this before, and I know you don't really agree with me. But um, does it? It doesn't. It shouldn't surprise you. The BFI is rooted back in in its its history, and um, and and it is it sees film as as its its major major concern. And all right, he may mutter about games, um, but then they've never, ever really thought about kids. They haven't talked about kids' film, let alone anything else. Yes. I mean, they've given up entirely on any um, iteration of ch- of children's film. So I don't, I'm not sure, I mean, I, I agree with you, I think it's <coughs> a great pity, but I don't think they're the ones to go for because I think, you know, take, changing their tune is going to be virtually impossible in the short term. So I think, you know, we, we need to look elsewhere, probably, where people might be more malleable. Uh, well,
1: I, I, I would agree with that. Uh, <laughs> you know, I use the BFI as an example of if you if you want to engage with the audience in 10 years time, which is what the plan was about. Then, why do you not talk to the audience who will be 25 years old in 10 years' time if you want a young, vibrant audience for BFI content? Um, yes, they do into film, they do that, and but that's that's more about media education than anything else, it's not really that much about engagement. Uh, uh that's just sort an of example. One could similarly say the BBC yes they're they're working really hard in BBC children's to recapture the audience they have lost, but at the senior level, all the BBC management seem to be thinking about is making BBC content more commercial um, uh, and therefore less troublesome in terms of how much money it costs the the license fee payer or whatever other system the government is going to devise for it um, they're not thinking about a real digital strategy which says if you know people in very large numbers young people in very large numbers have migrated to platforms that we're just not on should we be on the platform what you know has is anybody thinking about what the bbc is in the metaverse
0: uh I, I know there's well i know there's conversations happening whether they've gone fr- beyond the kind of the r d labs into uh, into content conversation i don't know um i would just point out we had a session with Ben Robertson and, and Harriet a couple of days ago, uh, where they went through the ten-year strategy. I think they I'm not going to speak on their behalf, and maybe we need to give them a right to reply. Uh, I think their ambition, which is around to stay relevant, they need to embrace all the various sectors. Um, I think they'd be the first to admit They don't don't yet have all of the detail as to how to do that and how to fund that. Um, but to remain relevant, I think they 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 would be the first to recognise they need to do that. Um, I guess more broadly, my my question was um, in what. <laughs> Um, it, it's almost as if we're coming to the end of a fifty or sixty-year run. Where, if you look at if you look at every Ofcom review uh, starting in two thousand and three, it basically says the same thing, which is we've had a good run. The PSB system is as PSB as possible under the circumstances, but it's coming it's coming apart at the edges. License fees probably not sustainable in the long run. Channel Four probably needs to be privatised. and ITV needs to lose some of its quotas and remits uh, if it's going to survive commercially. Uh, we haven't yet replaced that around the broadcast television space. There's a lot of movement in that space. But then alongside that, SVOD arguably is just a different business model for high-end content. Alongside that, we've got the whole social video explosion and the whole games explosion. And really, that strikes me as being the Venn diagram that that uh, that kind of overlaps with how, how kids are looking at the world. And given that, it's going to be the how, how the whole audience looks at the world over time as those kids grow up. Um, you've started doing the bold thinking around what does what do we mean by public service content when it's not a TV show? And what do we mean by finding public service content when it's not in a schedule? And are you finding any kindred, kindred spirits who kind of understand that? Or because you're looking at it through the lens of a particular audience type, which is very unique, it's just not resonating and people aren't thinking about it yet. My sense of what you're saying is that you're, 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 you're blazing a path, but nobody's following you as yet, because it's, 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 uh, the risk is it's too easy to stick at in the institutional structures we've got rather than trying to design it again from scratch.
2: I think we're also in a very difficult period um, in terms of the, the politics that are going on with such instability in government and who is actually going to be responsible for what as things go forward. And I think it's very difficult to engage people to think about all this if they're not sure that they're going to be here in five minutes' time.
0: Well, yes, therein lies the tale of um, whatever it is, our 10th Secretary of State at DCMS in less than 10 years. Um, You've also got a government
1: who are fairly anti-BBC, so the idea that the BBC might grow you know that the bbc in the metaverse was a subject really worth talking about that the, the you know that a bbc ethos you know the, let's say the the bbc as the creators of or the curators of a public service algorithm which is then which is then available to all you know uh, 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 VOD and avod suppliers of content to offer to their um, or, or audience, uh, you know, So, say, 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 if you've got kids, you might want to use the public service algorithm, or if you've got a public service frame of mind, you might want to use the public service algorithm, which provides you with recommendations for content in a different way from the way are our, our more commercially based. Um, algorithm provides it. You can you can choose this if you want. And the you know the, a scenario in which the BBC becomes the curator and the provider of that. You know, in the old days, down in Kingswood Warren, B, the old BBC sort of uh, you know research spots were creating NICAM stereo and then sending it out to the world. You know, uh, were uh, you know d- developing new cameras, developing new ways of 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 of, of getting content to people at the same time you know way back in the in in uh, in in the late 1990s the bbc got into online and and you know i would i'd be the first to say having been part of that sort of revolution that 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 britain being as ahead as it is in digital matters, is because of that. It's partly because of that, because the BBC led the way, created content that people wanted to find, signed up, you know, for their for the first time to have online in their homes because there was BBC content associated with the lovely favourite brands that, that that they had, and kids was all a part of that, and yet. That now has all become very difficult for the BBC to do. It's, it's, it's all become about you know, not 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 skewing the marketplace, not 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 taking the place of, of commercial broadcasters. And there is a there is a certain failure of government to recognise the power of having an organisation like the BBC to push the market forward in 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 various ways. And the idea that the BBC. You know, shouldn't really play with how it can be a public service provider on multiple platforms other than its own. Um, it seems like a terrible waste.
0: It feels like yeah, it feels like a, a fairly major bridge to cross. That one, um, particularly at a time with with Charter and Neil coming up. Um, it does now. It wouldn't have twenty years ago. That's interesting. That's that's interesting. Um, I'm going to, uh, going to take the conversation to a slightly different place. Do, have any other countries are any other countries tackling this better than us? And if so, what are they doing?
2: Well, various European countries have have started losing their license, public service license fee for their their, their national broadcaster, and replace it with with variety of other funding methods.
0: And. If you take that logic further on, um, how important, I mean, if we, if we, if we all roads lead back to contestable funding at some point, um, to, what extent, to what extent does plurality in the sense of having multiple providers matter? From your point of view, in terms of the, uh, the objectives and the passion you have for serving the young audiences best, would you be indifferent between a well-funded BBC, essentially as a monopoly provider, or a contestable fund that everybody has to bid for, or some hybrid between the two? Is it important that, that in terms of the provision uh, of the provision and commissioning of public service content for children, that it that there are more there's more than one entity that is providing?
1: It, it is important. Yeah, it, it is very important. Um, it, it's, it's not the most important thing. You know, the the most important thing is that there is a will to put public money into content, from our perspective, for young people that serves public service purposes. Um, the 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 a, a next stage of creating a a sort of viable um, way of operating that is to have more than one provider so that there's there's healthy competition and and there's choice and you've got you know producers have more than one place to go for their money and for and 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 to achieve their audiences um, but but I think that, that if you if you like, the order of priorities are, a some form of public service institution, number one, to make sure public money gets to producers to make content for kids and young people. Uh, number two, p- preferably a, a you know a multiple system that allows competition and choice within that.
2: I think there has to be competition and choice, otherwise it quite quickly would become quite complacent. Um, and it needs, you know, it needs to have that competitive edge to it.
0: Yes. Although the flip side of it is if there is um, if there was one well-funded institution, then the expectations of the commercial provision by the providers wouldn't be an exclusive provider of children's content because other people would want to do that commercially. And arguably, if you had one publicly funded one doing a great job uh in the center it would encourage everybody else not to do completely commercial and entertainment focused um uh content uh on their channels which you know it's a rising tide floating all boats in a way um but it's i mean it says that there's a there's a hierarchy from your point of view job one is to make sure there's enough public money going into create the cultural content and the representative content that otherwise wouldn't exist and that's particularly yeah. that's particularly from between the two of you I, I, what i've heard is uh quality factual challenging thinking programs which could be factual but they're also but they're also then into live action and drama um and it's really those two that the market won't provide uh in sufficient quantity and range and the challenge then is to how to make it accessible and make sure that children can can find it and consume it given they won't necessarily come to traditional channels to do that is that a reasonable summary
2: yes yes
0: Who is who or how does the thinking get done to put that puzzle together? Given we've got charter renewal coming up in 28, we've got all of the licenses of all the commercial PSBs getting renewed between now and and 2028. Uh, We've got manifestos probably being written sometime in 12 months' time. Well, who knows? It might be being written today, for all we know. Um, But manifestos getting written at some point, and therefore there's a kind of backlog for some of that heavy lifting to be done, and. It strikes me there's quite a holistic piece of thinking that needs to pull those threads together, which starts with actually what's relevant and right for children.
1: Well, in, in a way that uh, one of our problems is that we we pretty much only talk about what's relevant and right for children and young people, so we do, we're not offering, if you like, a comprehensive solution at the Children's Media Foundation to the future of public service broadcasting. I mean, we 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 could if you extrapolate from what we're talking about and in and in some ways we do because the audience we're talking about is the future of public service audiences but but uh yeah i mean it it, it's not for an organization like us to be sort of in the lead of changing the entire sort of landscape of public service broadcasting we don't we don't you know our job is to ensure that in any work that is being done that children don't get forget- forgotten, they get listened to and they're understood as not, a, they're, they're the audiences they're important audiences of the present and very important audiences of the future um, well, audi- that, audi- I, I'm not uh, sure what organisation is out there that is going to sort of push forward a radical agenda into the political sphere To 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 and I'm not sure there is a there's much of a will to do very much work on this amongst the political parties, particularly since, you know, post-pandemic and coming out of the sort of political crises we've been through and, of course, now going into extreme sort of um,
2: financial uh,
0: crises. Anna, you can turn to that by the side of it.
2: Um, No, I mean, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, it is a it would be a huge undertaking. I think we, I mean, if we're talking about the the role of the Children's Media Foundation, um, it is it is specifically children, um, and to change that would main, mean mean um, a why would anyone listen to us, and b, you know what a, you know. I
0: I, I wasn't suggest I wasn't suggesting that so much, I, but I was suggesting. Um, if part of the problem here is that from an audience point of view, it probably makes a good deal of sense. but they, they couldn't describe, they couldn't kind of back off and describe how all this fits together. They just know where their content is and what they want to watch yes, um, and how to get it. Matching up that with a set of public policy objectives that have actually been very consistent for a very long time, but which no longer quite map onto the way that the audience is behaving need some joined-up thinking because the existing institutions, by definition, need, probably need to change and adjust. But that kind of needs a blank sheet of paper for the sector as a whole, so specifically on the children's front. Because it also strikes me that Ofcom isn't necessarily going to do that because they are now very much in a we we analyze the market, but we don't necessarily come up with recommendations on how it should be because that's not necessarily our job either. So it's just, it, it just strikes me where we, um, – like so many other areas of the world at the moment, we're heading into quite a, a kind of tumult and vortex of, of all the puzzle pieces being up in the air at the same time, but just being interesting from your point of view as to who the right people or the, the, the right process in a way to try and get them to land in the right way.
1: Well, it was part of the reason why I held out hopes for the BFI, to be honest. Um, but, but I think, so if we if we think that officials at the DCMS are going to achieve anything in this, I think not, because they are following they're following the political masters who whose basic agenda is to is to diminish the power of the BBC and uh, and in a way to, um, I think the same for channel Four um but i uh, i i'm not quite sure what the real political motivation of privatizing channel 4 is other than producing some sort of billion pound you know um lottery win um but uh, you know it it sounds also as though both both those agendas are now uh, taking a back seat to other things in 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 the later statements coming out of dcms uh, i'm I'm not sure there is any organization that's coming up with a, a a radical rethink of the way public service should be. I mean, I'm hoping your podcasts might, might simulate <laughs> some of this um, it, uh, and and part of the problem is that they're not they're not many of the organizations thinking about this are thinking about what what forty and fifty year olds do now. Well, the forty and fifty-year-olds of twenty years' time—I come back to the point—are going to be the ten and twenty-year-olds of now, and the way they're consuming media is is really quite radically different. It really is, and we've we've been saying it for years. You know, children are the early adopters; they they adapt quickly, they adopt quickly, um, but. You know that that's always been true, but n- never more so than now. And so you know, up comes TikTok. It's specifically aimed at a certain audience, perhaps. And then in come the kids. Before you know it, they're all in there doing whatever it is they do in there. Goodness knows what they do in there. I don't. I don't look at it. It's just it's just beyond my ken. I'm old, but. I am concerned that the organisations pursuing the future of public service media in this country are not taking a radical view of it at all. They are thinking, they're thinking about the paradigms that currently exists, that currently exist. Broadcasters, you know, brands that are really important to people. Talk to 10-year-olds. They don't really know what the BBC is and what it does. And that's a terrible shame, and I wish they could. I really wish they could. And maybe there are ways of getting them to understand that. Will they, by the time they're 20, understand what the BBC does? Yes, some of them will understand more. They will understand it a bit better. But will they want to pay for it? I doubt it. I doubt it very much and we we know the BBC knows those numbers are going up year on year on year the number of young people who say what well, you want me to pay for this I don't get it uh, that makes no sense why would I do that and and all of that has to be addressed and I know the government you know that is part of the government's agenda in addressing the license fee but it needs some very clever thinking about the way the license fee can shift into something else to create the basis of a public fund we talked at the DCMS, we talked to one of the, 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 the Minister for Broadcasting about levies, for example, and, you know, there, there's a sort of look of horror on their faces when you talk about levies, because if when you, if you want to levy Netflix, you know, the government are really worried about that sort of thing, because Netflix spends lots of money in British studios. Less, I would suggest, than they are. They have been, you know, because things, things are not so good at Netflix anymore,
0: yeah although we've just become 15% cheaper in the last week so I suspect some of that money will come but sloshing back,
1: come, come sloshing <laughs> back again. so so levies are even now off the agenda i mean my my the point i've made about levies is maybe all you know a general levies off the agenda but what about a levy that specifically produced a fund for creating content for, for children and young people so you you know there's, it's like a bonus levy you know so even to the person the the companies being levied you might be able to say you're going to get a lot of cred for this
0: you're going to get a lot of public kudos
2: and levies have already happened in Europe in on in certain countries
0: well and and going back to Edie we have a long track record here yeah I, you've been very generous with your time I know we had to pause in the middle for some technical gremlins as well so I'll I'll, I'll bring things to a close. Um, you, if you, what's, we'll go around with each of you. What's your what's your biggest hope and your biggest fear, Anna?
2: Well, um, if I had a magic wand, God knows. I mean, I just think what is really important is that what wherever we go in the immediate future is that there are enough, and I'm being now limiting myself to the world of childrens. There are going to be enough people who care enough. Who will continue to fight for what we have, and continue to think about what might be in the future, um, and don't that that people don't get disillusioned, that they do continue to be excited about new ways of doing things, um, and that they're prepared prepared to fight for it because. You know, it's been a constant fight. It is going to continue to be a constant fight. I mean, it would be lovely if I thought I shall never see the end of the fight anyway. Um, but, uh, you know, come on. it It is too important to lose what has gone before. And I want the memory to stay and I want people... To, to be, I don't know, to, to, to be forward thinking, sufficiently forward thinking, but the danger is that, you know, what we've just been talking about, that there isn't that there aren't enough people with enough strength gathering together at the moment anyway, to be able to, to put this forward in a big enough way to make it work.
1: I think my fear is that we that, that, that all the various tinkerings that will go on over the next few years with public service broadcasting and this is beyond the, the children's and young people's audience but in general will end up with us having significantly less of it in ten years' time, if any at all uh, and we to quote Joni Mitchell, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Uh, the the law of unforeseen consequences works very strongly in media matters and and it i think it's perfectly possible with, with all of the goodwill that there is in the industry and the, and the various sort of slightly half-hearted fights to maintain it you've got the bbc you know moving down a more commercial road to sort of please people you've got you've still got politicians who are really keen to see organisations with the power of the BBC held in check much more, and and my hope would be that someone comes forward in in politics who are prepared to sit at the in the DCMS and make happen a public service media for the future, which is which which looks ten and twenty years ahead. Oh, Ashton, you need to look that far ahead. You need to look at now when you look at young people just look at now people going to rock concerts in Fortnite kids making their content in Ro- in, in 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 Roblox or in Minecraft uh and you know youtube makers of all types b- being better known to kids than the BBC brand all of that a politician needs to get to grips with that and say what you know, let, let, let's take some radical approaches, but let's make sure there's money there for it. So let's get, you know, the license to be turned into something that actually works. Um, and let's also look at other sources of funding for this so that we can build up a, a strong fund so that public service media can continue to exist. Because without that, the politicians themselves are doomed because where, where we're at is a is a, is a world of... of of you know total free market not totally unregulated but not you know not not focused on on the british audience and 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 the wonderful diverse needs of british society
0: and and eloquently and passionately put i think that the 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 challenging part of this conversation is if you go full circle the paradox is that there's enormous consensus on the need to solve the problem, and and the recognition that the market won't solve it by itself, particular in, in specific to this genre, which is the the, the topic of today. Uh, every every politician, every civil servant, every practitioner, every industry leader, every industry CEO would all recognise that the range and quality of content that we would love our kids that we would love our kids to have access to is not going to be provided by the market and therefore this needs to get solved somehow. Um, the paradox is we haven't figured out a way of solving it and, and time's marching on. And most most importantly, the audience is marching on and the relevance of this debate for the audience, unless we engage them with content that wraps them up in it, um, it becomes harder and harder. Yep.
1: Yes, absolutely. absolutely.
0: Well, that feels like a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> and have,
2: have we got the energy I ask myself
0: <laughs> of course we do it's a fight worth fighting thank you both enormously for your time I'm sure this is a conversation that will come rumbling on um, and uh, we wish we wish you all wind in your sails for uh, for everything the CMS trying to do to address this uh, and uh, we look forward to the reactions of people who listen to this and joining the conversation good thank you thanks, yep. thank you both thank you for your time
2: thanks a lot bye take care bye bye bye
0: So that's it for now. I hope you've enjoyed these discussions with leading politicians, regulators, broadcasters and producers, and that they will prove a useful way of framing the ongoing debates about the future of public service broadcasting. We'll continue these discussions and many others at upcoming meetings and seminars of the British Screen Forum. And if you're interested in attending these or becoming a member, please go to our website to find out more.